What's up, guys? Back for a uh, fifth episode of Joel Show. Gonna be talking about whatever's happened this week. See what we get to. Finished watching the uh, Michael Jordan Last Dance documentary this morning. It's great. They had the uh, they got to the part in it where halfway through the finals, <laughs> Dennis Rodman just skipped practice to go wrestle with Hulk Hogan in pajama pants, which it does appear from that documentary that Dennis Rodman lives in pajama pants, which I got to say, throughout this whole quarantine change in lifestyle, I really relate to Dennis Rodman on this. <laughs> I'm thinking I might start uh, doing uh, multicolored hair, uh, get some facial piercings, uh, and, you know, start wrestling. I think... I talked about this in the first podcast. I'm not a sports guy, but I got I got a lot of respect for professional wrestling. <laughs> and Dennis Rodman does too. I think he's with me. I think uh, he's also agreed that if we're going to move forward in the world of sports, we need to embrace the ethos of Vince McMahon and the WWE, and we need to start we need to start bringing some showmanship to it. Really, when you think about it, Dennis Rodman is like straight WWE. He just, he had all the hijinks. He was kicking cameramen in the middle of games, fighting people, had the dyed hair, all the drama going on off uh, the court, wearing pajama pants all the time. Just kind of a crazy person. It makes more sense that he's appeared in the WWE than the NBA, except then, as someone who does not know basketball, watching the uh, documentary, you realize, oh, he's also super legit at basketball. (laughs) You can be a crazy weird dude and also be great at stuff. That's, there's something inspiring about that. I think we should, I think it's time for us all collectively as a culture to re-examine Dennis Rodman. I think for too long we've written the worm off when we should be holding him up as a hero and a role model. Because this guy just did his own thing for years, but was also super legit at his job. Like, did a great job, but also would dip out for like a week and go to Las Vegas without telling anybody (laughs) and ride motorcycles, drink beer, (laughs) which I can get behind. I think, I think there's a solid, there's a solid ethos in that. It's if anyone has ever embodied work hard, play hard more than Dennis Rodman, I do not want to know them. (laughs) Oh, and also I'm sure there's a backstory to it. But the nickname of the worm is so cool. That's, you don't like, who's, no one wants to be named the worm, but it works. It's like, that's like a cool, the worm is like, it sounds like something out of a Tarantino movie. Like, oh, we got to, we've got ourselves in big trouble here, guys. We're going to have to call a specialist. Call in the worm. Feels like you should roll up in an all-white tuxedo. Like that guy in uh, uh, Pulp Fiction. Just 
show me where the body is. I'm here to help. <laughs> Except he's Dennis Rodman. Except it's Dennis Rodman. He shows up in a wedding dress like the time Dennis Rodman showed up in a wedding dress. <laughs> oh, guy is a hero. Re-examine Dennis Rodman. I think we're getting to a point in culture where new metal is still like it's enough time has passed, the wounds have healed, people are starting to go, wait, was Limp Biscuit cool? Wait, was Korn secretly kind of sick? That's Dennis Rodman. Dennis Rodman is new metal. When it first was around, everyone if I feel like with through the haze of time, we've all decided that Dennis Rodman wasn't cool. But now, upon re-examining, Dennis Rodman is new metal. <laughs> There's he did some innovative stuff, is all I'm saying. <laughs> oh, he kind of there's there's a lot of ways that that works. <laughs> oh, which new metal band would Dennis Rodman be? That's that's the real hard-hitting journalism that I think this podcast can accomplish. He's not Limp Biscuit. Limp Biscuit has too much of a vibe of like we need you to like us. They're too much of a tryhards, Limp Biscuit. And that's not what the worm is all about. That's not what the Rodman is here for. Maybe Corn. Corn's like they got that they've got that dark side to them. They've got a rough upbringing in corn. They've done some hard drugs. <laughs> They're still pretty culturally relevant. I went and saw corn at a, there's a festival. I went to a rock festival in North Carolina, home of Michael Jordan, full circle. Went to a rock festival in North Carolina three years ago and corn was playing and it is the most afraid I've ever been at a concert. We decided to crowd surf during Adidas. All day I dream about sex. No, sorry. It was during Y'all Want a Single. And uh, my cousin and I were like, yeah, let's crowd surf. We're here. Corn's here. They're playing Y'all Want a Single. Say fuck that. We got to crowd surf. This, that is the only thing you can do in that situation. So we decide to crowd surf. We hand off our wallet and our keys and everything to our friends. We get put up. And we're going forward and we're having a great time. And then I'm about 20 feet from the front of the stage. And I get dropped. And I go down into the crowd. And there are just... I... There's tons of people. I pop up and it is like sardines. And then the crowd is swaying so much because people are trying to push to get to the front behind us that like 15 people go down on top of me. And I'm able to just like wriggle out super quickly. But there was a girl who was the next in line. So there are 14 people on top of her and she is screaming and crying and going, ah, they're going to break my leg. And I was like, mm, get me out of here. 
This is, this is how, when you read about, yeah, six people got trampled to death at a soccer game in Belgium. And you're like, how does that happen? Then you get dropped crowd surfing at corn in North Carolina and you go, oh, this, this is how that happens. People are too excited when y'all want a single comes on and they just trample people to death. So I turn around and I'm like, uh-oh, this is bad. I see two big strapping fellas and I'm like, ah, put me back up. I want to crowd surf again. Because I know once you get to the front, security grabs you and they make you go to the back. And I'm like, the back is the safest place to be right now. The the infectious energy of corn is too much for this crowd. <laughs> and so they put me up, uh, throw me to the front. I lock eyes with security guard. I'm like two feet from him. And it's just like, it's that moment of, oh, help me, save me. I, my eyes are just like dinner plates. And I lock eyes with him. And he, I, I, he didn't say it, but I could see in his soul. He was like, I'm going to save you, my brother. And I was like, thank you. So he pulls me off and we go around to the side. I'm like, oh, thank God. And he goes, all right, you got to go to the back. And I'm like, all right, that, yeah, it's good. So I stopped to catch my breath for a second. And I'm like, whew, that's one of the most intense situations I've ever been in in my life. And then like an eight-year-old boy comes running up to me. And he's like, I can't find my parents. <laughs> and I was like, oh, no. What? <laughs> What? <laughs> and I'm like, where are you? I'm like, I got to be calm for this child. I've got to, all right, you got to put on a brave face, Joel. You've got to be what that security guard was for you, for this little boy. And I'm like, where, where are your, where, where, where are your, where's your family? And he points back to the crowd at corn. He goes there and there. I'm like, well, then they're dead. They're gone. Sorry. I'm your dad now. And so I uh, was like, all right, well, I got to grab Joel Jr. here. I guess I'm going to have to take him back on the plane to Canada with me and get him a passport and a social insurance number. And, you know, I, I guess this will be my life now. I wasn't ready for fatherhood, but it was thrust upon me by uh, the radical baditude of corn. And as I was starting to bundle up my, my new son, my new protege, my ward, if you will, like Batman and Robin. His mother came over and was like, oh, don't worry, I've, I've got him. And I had a moment where I was like, how do I know you're his mother? Prove to me, prove to me, what do you know about little Joel Jr.? What's his birthday? She's like, May 5th. And I'm like, I have no way to confirm or deny that. That's sure. It's sure. All right. You guys look, you guys look similar. You guys both got that North Carolina look about you. <laughs> Man, who takes an eight-year-old boy to... So was, I think they said there was like... I think there was 30,000 people at this festival. Don't take your child to corn. It's sure, your kid can feel how they will about Twisted Transistor and Coming Undone and Freak on a Leash and other corn classics available for three easy payments of $19.99 on a 67 CD kit. 
but maybe don't take him in the pit. Because then a weird fella from Canada is going to almost adopt him. Which, here's the thing. Almost adopting a kid looks a lot like kidnapping a kid to the authorities. I feel like were I to have taken that child and then been caught, the police would not have looked favorably upon my excuse of, well, I, I, I figured corn had killed him, <laughs> killed his parents. I thought this was a, I thought this was a, an ice age situation. I thought I was Ray Romano, the mammoth. <laughs> if I'm honest in like, I feel like Ray Romano is not my analog in that film. It's, it's probably Jean Leguizimo. That's probably who I am. I'm definitely not, uh, uh, what's his name? Dennis Leary. There's, there's aspects of Dennis Leary to me. I'm also sometimes angry, but not to the level of Dennis Leary. <laughs> Few are. Few are angry to the level of Dennis Leary. <laughs> oh, fun fact, saw it on Wikipedia. The baby from Ice Age is 6'10". I don't know what you guys can do with that information, but you have it now. It, uh, everyone was talking shit about the baby from Ice Age. Turns out he could have been playing in the NBA. Turns how big did the animators of Ice Age think people were during the Ice Age? Were they like, yeah, like a baby... Also, this is when it really becomes apparent that I know nothing about children. <laughs> so, a baby's like a foot long, maybe. A grown man's like six feet long. <laughs> six, a grown man's six feet long. Not tall. That's not the word I used. So what is basically being said is that human beings in the Ice Age were 42 feet tall. Which I'm not an anthropologist, but that feels wrong. I feel like human beings were not 42 feet tall in the Ice Age, but they could have been. They could have been. Once again, not an anthropologist. <laughs> oh, there's uh, a lot of interesting stuff going on. What else besides uh, the Bulls documentary? I'm finished that. I watched, been watching some horror movies lately. Watched a lot of horror movies. Watched Gerald's Game, watched 1922. Just a lot of Stephen King adaptations, apparently. That's all I'm watching. <laughs> I'm that, I'm that one guy who, I'm your friend's dad who has 50 books in his home library and they're all written by Stephen King. <laughs> Having said that, I've read some Stephen King books. They're great. Can't blame them. Why does, why does everyone get so down on dads who like Stephen King? They could be worse. They could be dads who like John Grisham. <laughs> There's, that's a sort of 
<laughs> That's a sort of like, you know, you've got in Dungeons and Dragons, you've got, oh, you're neutral, uh, good, evil, and chaotic, and lawful, or neutral. So you can be neutral, uh, uh, you can be chaotic neutral, you can be chaotic evil, you can be chaotic good. That's kind of how you can plot a character's ethos, their morality, their worldview in an easy way. There's got to be a way to adapt that for <laughs> middle-aged men and adapting worldviews out of Stephen King, John Grisham, and... Oh, I, there's got to be, there's got to be another. There's got to be a third one, I feel. Also, I read a lot of John Grisham books when I was a teenager. Because I was not a cool teenager. <laughs> Tom Clancy. There you go. Actually, I feel like I read more Tom Clancy than John Grisham. But also, looking back on it, I cannot differentiate a single individual title from either of those authors. Like, I know... Tom Clancy wrote Splinter Cell and Rainbow Six, but I only know that because they got adapted into video games and I don't even play video games. Except the new Spider-Man game that came out two years ago. I played that a lot. Some would argue too much. <laughs> it's the only time I, like I don't play video games but every couple years, I'll see something and I'll go, you know what? I'm going to play this too much. And that's why I can't play video games regularly is because whenever I do play them, I play them eight hours a day and completely lose track of my life for like two weeks. <laughs> it's like, oh, Joel, you look really tired. Yeah, I played a video game. Uh, I bought a video game and it's completely ruining my life. That's also why I will not do hard drugs. <laughs> I'm like, I'm not, I, I, I'm never going to try heroin because video games are enough to fuck up my whole life. <laughs> I can't. <laughs> yeah, a lot of guys, a lot of rock stars from the 70s had some real problems with smack. But oh my god, if Grand Theft Auto V had been around, they would have had some real problems. The Spider-Man game, though, is the first time I've ever gone through and like 100%ed a game. Collected every collectible, done every side mission. I did that whole game. And the reason I did it is because generally I get to a point with most things, but video games especially, where I get to a certain point where I've learned how to play the game. I've kind of figured it out. There's no like big new surprises and I just get bored. I'm like, I can't how like I can't play this anymore. This is, it's the same thing, but Spider-Man, you get a swing around and be Spider-Man. So just moving around is a fun experience because you get to do it as Spider-Man. <laughs> There's been no other game, with maybe the exception of Grand Theft Auto, where I'm like, it's just fun to chill out and just tour around the city. Just swing from building to building. And, oh, what's this? 
a bank robbery down there, I'm having too much fun swinging. I would not be a good superhero. <laughs> if I had any sort of cool ability, any cool form of locomotion, if I could fly or swing around a city or even just be really good at parkour and I was doing that and, oh no, a mugging. I'm like, but it's kind of, I only have like an hour more of flying before I have to go back to work. I think I'm just going to fly to help me. Help, they're mugging me. I think I'm going to, I see you up there, superhero. Don't abandon me. Never make eye contact. Then you got to go help him. That's not fun. That's the thing that I like about Spider-Man is that it's the only one where it kind of acknowledges just how much of a pain it would be to be a superhero. Because most of the conflict in Spider-Man is just him going, oh, I can't go on a date with Mary Jane because I've, oh, I've got to stop Doc Ock from assembling a, fu a fusion generator in New York City. How funny is that? Is that Doc Ock is building a nuclear fusion reactor in New York City, but the real drama of that story is that he can't, he keeps letting his girlfriend down. That's a superhero you can relate to. <laughs> the city needs him, but the people in his life need him more. And that's, it's, that's just good writing. That's just good writing. Good on you, Sam Raimi. That's, uh, people, people knock the Tobey Maguire Spider-Man movies now. But I feel like it's the same thing as Dennis Rodman and New Metal Music. They're coming back. <laughs> people are starting, people are starting, you know, to go, hey, we love Tom Holland, but let's acknowledge Tobey Maguire, he had some hits. <laughs> Tobey Maguire... He had some hits, especially if you ignore the third movie that just really ruins a lot of goodwill. <laughs> that movie just, it kind of was that trap that a lot of superhero movies started to fall into in the early to mid 2000s where they just thought, hey, you enjoyed the Green Goblin, one villain, in the first Spider-Man. You enjoyed Dr. Octopus, one villain, in the second Spider-Man. For the third Spider-Man, what if we just did three villains? <laughs> hey, why don't we just put every character in and don't pay that much attention to developing any of them? And then... Amazing Spider-Man 2 with Andrew Garfield did the same thing. They were like Green Goblin, also Electro, also the Rhino. <laughs> what? That's the only superhero movie that's done that well of having multiple villains are the Nolan ones. And I feel like a big part of that 
is the Nolan ones are paced so well that there's no downtime in them. So you kind of like, you're like, yeah, okay. Two-Face and the Joker are both in this, but it works for some reason. And I don't know why it doesn't work in like Spider-Man 3. Maybe two villains, two villains okay, three villains bad. <laughs> that's, that's the moral of the story. You can have two villains, but if you have three, unless you're X-Men, then they're ensemble movies always. X-Men. This is, this is just going to become about X-Men now, because I can talk about X-Men all day. This is, welcome to Joel's show, the 8,000th X-Men themed podcast, I'm sure. I'm sure there's quite a few. <laughs> They're going to have X-Men in the MCU, and I'm excited for that. I don't know what exactly it's going to look like, especially because Magneto's a Holocaust survivor, and that would make him at least 95 years old for being a teenager in the 40s. So, yeah, I don't know how you accomplish that for a timeline. I don't know if they're going to do a time travel thing, an alternate universe thing, but Disney got to make those Disney dollars. And I am someone who can be critical of big mega corporations dominating the marketplace, but I will never be critical of Disney for that. Let's just let Disney do everything from now on. <laughs> I love the MCU. I think The Last Jedi is the best Star Wars movie. <laughs> the Mandalorian's great. I'm excited for the Marvel Disney Plus series. I think the Disney animated movies from when I was a child are some of my uh, favorite childhood movies. Just let Disney do everything. The next president of the United States should be Mickey Mouse. That's a platform I can get behind. <laughs> you can vote Democrat, you can vote Republican, or you can vote Disney. Those are your options in the America of my dreams. <laughs> oh, what uh, Goofy. I think Goofy is a good Veep. I think we've kind of seen your vice president. They're kind of ornamental. But behind the scenes, they can be important. They can be a Cheney. A Cheney behind the, the puppet master. And that's what Goofy is. A lot of people think, you know, he's Goofy. He's dumb. He doesn't know what's up. Mm-mm. Goofy's the mastermind. I tell you that for free. <laughs> How good was the Goofy movie? Hmm? Did Mickey Mouse have any good movies? I don't know. Fantasia? He doesn't even talk in that. I've been uh, seeing a lot of stuff about the anti-lockdown protests in the United States. And I gotta say, that just looks like Comic-Con for assholes. <laughs> They're all cosplaying in their army man costumes. <laughs> the amount of, You what? You look at these photos from these protests, and it's just... Dorks, just guys who you would never talk, the kind of guy 
who your worst nightmare is getting cornered talking to them at a party because everything they're going to say is just going to make you go, yep, 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 okay. Your body language the whole time you're talking to them is just your half turned away, yep, yeah, oh yeah, no, I can see that. <laughs> As they just, <laughs> just talk about insane. Well, you got to know them chemtrails are coming down. You're like, yeah, okay. Well, the reason that we're so, women are so unhappy right now is they're not fulfilling their biological imperative to be mothers and to not, they, they're working and they're out in the workplace and they're not in the home where they belong. Yeah, okay. Yeah, you can't like they're the kind of guy who you're like, you see them from across the room and you're like, I'm not going to enjoy you lock. It's it's like it's like people who want you to sign a petition out front of the grocery store is you just go, don't make eye contact. That's every one of the anti lockdown <laughs> protests are just the kind of person who if you were at a party. You'd see them and immediately just the vibe off them, just the energy emitting from them. You would go, Kate, don't make eye contact with that person. And then you go, wait, are they wearing an American flag bandana? God, I made eye contact with them. And then they just come over and they're like, did you know that the government is putting chemicals in the water and that's what's creating homosexuals? And you're like, gee, yep, okay. Okay, yep, <laughs> for 37 minutes until finally he ensnares someone else. Someone comes over and goes, what are you guys talking about? And it's like the ring. It's like you've just, I've got it on to someone else. I've shown someone else the videotape. Now I'm free. <laughs> The curse is lifted. Someone else came over and engaged. Time to dip. Alrighty, well, I'm going to go and not be here in this conversation anymore. Good to talk to you. They're all just these guys who are dorks. And they've got bulletproof vests and assault weapons. Just chilling out front of government buildings. And you're like, hey... How is this allowed? <laughs> I feel like that's a thing in Canada that we just don't have that frame of reference for you see a guy in a tactical gear in a full one of those ghillie suits where they can hide in the grass and you can't see them with a goddamn AK-47 and you're like, hey, what's happening here? And they're like, we want haircuts. And you're like, why do you need an assault weapon for that? <laughs> How bad do you think shit's going to go down over a haircut, man? <laughs> I want to be able to go and get sit down in Arby's with my family. <laughs> Are you expecting military resistance to that? <laughs> oh... I love the whole idea of like, we've got to have these weapons so we can protect ourselves against a tyrannical government. 
And it's like, hey, man, the government has tanks. <laughs> the government has drones, dude. How? What? Like, the whole idea of the Second Amendment to protect yourself against a tyrannical government makes sense when the United States was founded because it was like, hey, we have muskets and the government has muskets. But now the government has billion dollar death birds that don't even have pilots. <laughs> and you're like, I'm going to use my rifle. <laughs> yeah, good luck. <laughs> and also is the idea they're like, hey, you know what? The government government might show up with, with tanks in the military to keep us from getting haircuts. Like at a certain point, you've got to realize the government's just going to go, yeah, this isn't, we're not going to shoot people over haircuts. <laughs> oh my God, that's funny. What is the thought process? Magical is the answer. Also, just everything. Like, it is, it's truly Comic-Con for assholes. Because you've got the cosplayers, cosplaying army man. They read, these guys read a couple too many Tom Clancy books. <laughs> and are like, time for me to get out there and cosplay Rainbow Six Siege. <laughs> Time for me to cosplay Call of Duty. <laughs> the kind of guys who are out there cosplaying as Call of Duty are also, it's an 100% overlap with the kind of guys who would make fun of people for cosplaying Assassin's Creed. And it's the same thing. <laughs> oh... The only difference is you can't buy your Assassin's Creed costume at the local surplus store. That took some work. That took some effort. <laughs> oh, my Lord. What else? There's just also like some of the signs are hilarious. I'm loving it. Ba 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 ba. McDonald's. I don't, there's a lot of things, if I'm honest, where I look down at the difference in how the United States is handling this and how Canada is handling this. And I'm like, guys, come on. Having said that, there was protesters in Vancouver. I don't think they had Tack rifles. <laughs> I don't think they were cosplaying. <laughs> but also, they were there. It's also worth noting, I'm sure a big part of everything in America is everyone in America is just trying to get on the news. That is the only, it's the only goal of any human being is get on the TV. <laughs> That's actually, uh, I remember reading that once. It was some study where they were talking about the motivation for serial killers. 
Uh, America is the only place where serial killers kill for fame. <laughs> Everything is so media-centric, fame-centric in the United States, where it's like, hey, you know what? I, I don't really want to learn how to play the guitar or do impressions or something like that, but I sure would like to be famous. I think I'll just kill a bunch of college students. <laughs> That's a leap. <laughs> only, only in America are you like, hey, let's get it done. <laughs> Which, to be fair, in the 70s, it wasn't a bad way to get known. I bet you more people know Charles, Charles Manson's name than the bass player from uh, the Goo Goo Dolls. <laughs> Sure, you wrote Iris. Have you ever been featured in Mindhunter? <laughs> oh. I don't know if uh I don't know if I got anything else to talk about for this week. I think uh I think let's just call that it. That's episode five of Joel Show in the Can. Let's uh I'll see you guys next week for episode six. Till then, I've been Joel Burchill. Love ya.